introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. Welcome back to another episode of the Pocket Protectors Podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. And once again, I am here. I am joined by two of the smartest men on all of the internet. My good man, my good friend, Dr. Eric Eager. How you doing? How you been? Things are going okay, man. I mean, relatively speaking, uh, working on football all day and uh, you know, getting getting to see my family more now that I'm home. But uh, interesting to see what will uh, will happen with this uh, mobile or no, it's online only draft. Yeah, and uh, so far, based on what you've seen out in the front yard, what kind of grades have the uh, have the girls earned in uh in receiving and and running the football? My oldest is pretty good at throwing. My youngest is pretty good at tackling. So, uh, you know, the Vikings need both. So uh, maybe they. <laughs> uh we'll, we'll take a look there we go there we go and my man nick how are things going in the most wholesome corner of vikings twitter yeah it's good i mean i i, I there's certainly some bright sides to this whole epidemic pandemic we're living through uh i don't miss uh being on nj transit for over an hour one way every day uh so that's that's nice to be able to just you know log on from home and seeing seeing the girls a lot more every day that's also really nice so there are there are upsides um my there are obviously a lot of downsides too so don't want to downplay those but yeah it's 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 good it's been good all right well let's jump right into it let's talk a bit of football and and nick you know you're generally a very even keeled gentleman uh but there are a few things that uh that'll get get you worked up you know people uh not giving stefanski the credit that he's due someone saying that you know stefan diggs isn't uh one of the best route runners in the league and, or Adam uh, Thielen is better. That one always gets me. Yeah, that that one does get. And then uh, Harrison Smith not getting the uh, the due that he deserves, uh, the credit that he deserves around the league. And you were upset today and the day before <laughs> about some lists that were put out. I guess primarily by NFL Network. So uh, yeah, what's going on? And and please tell the people what has you so mad, Nick? Yeah, this is just the story of Harrison Smith's career. His whole career, he's been just underrated. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's his last name is boring or people don't pay attention to the Vikings because they haven't really made any noise in the playoffs. But for whatever it is, Harrison Smith, who is one of the most versatile and best safeties of the past decade to anybody who actually is watching football, was left off the all-decades team of the 2010s in, in, in lieu of Earl Thomas, which I get. Earl Thomas, you know, Legion of Boom. He's probably the best pure free safety since Ed Reed. He's a really good player. He belongs on the list. I'm not going to contest that. And Eric Weddle, who, you know, I also, you know, I, I might call me a homer, but I might put Harrison Smith over Eric Weddle, but they're kind of the same player, you know, very versatile, more of a strong safety, but they can play on the back end. They do a really good job if you leave them, you know, in the deep half or, you know, they'll even play some, some like cover one, cover three deep safety as well. So really versatile, really smart, instinctive players, uh, really athletic, but um, not necessarily the flashiest. So I think you could go either way. But the one that kind of got me was, um, 
was uh, Eric Berry, who has like had a couple or maybe three really good seasons. And he's a very good player, so I don't want to like rag on him. And obviously, he also beat cancer and came back and won comeback player of the year. That's a really cool story. So I can't feel bad about like him getting on. But at the same time, Harrison Smith has been such a better safety for so much of the decade. And it's just he's been left off the Pro Bowl. He's been forgotten by the all pro voters and over and over and over again. This is a guy who I think has been the Vikings best player since Adrian Peterson tailed off one of the best players in the entire league. And he just never gets his due. And I don't know what it is, but it, it gets me worked up because I think he's a Hall of Fame caliber talent and he's not going to eventually make it into the Hall of Fame because for whatever reason, people just don't give him his due. And that makes me sad. All right. Well, one of the places that he does get his due uh, is those guys who, you know, don't know a lot about football if you listen to the people on Twitter. Uh, our friends at Pro Football Focus. Uh, I mean, he made the second team there. Uh, Eric, you know, Nick is saying <laughs> Harrison doesn't get his due, but, uh-huh. you know, PFF typically rates Harrison Smith as one of the best safeties year in and year out. From your perspective, what is it that you think is the disconnect between what you're seeing and, and, and your, your peers are seeing when you, you look at Harrison Smith versus, you know, the general public and why he continues to be so underrated year over year? You know, I think the Eric Berry thing was almost entirely the beating cancer um, as far as you look at. So the 2016 season with Eric Berry, uh, you know, that was he, he beat cancer in 2015, came back, made the Pro Bowl in 2015, 2016. He, you know, basically won two games by himself for Kansas City in a season where the Chiefs were basically a nine and 17 point differential wise but finished 12 and four and with the two seed in the AFC, he had an interception for a touchdown uh, and then intercepted a two point conversion and ran it back. And the chiefs won by one. Uh, And he had also an interception against Carolina, ran that back. Like he, Eric Berry has had far more uh, signature moments for a team that is, I think better this decade than the, than the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he's also a top five, top 10 pick, five or 10. They made the Pro Bowl as a rookie. Um, and then the other thing that I don't think people, so he's missed, you know, he only played one game in 2011 with a torn ACL. He missed uh, 10 games in 2014 with lymphoma. And then he tore his Achilles in 2017. I mean, if you put his full seasons together, I do think they rival Smith. Um, but to uh, Nick's point, Smith has just played more, played better in, in many cases. But I think the issue with Smith is that he hasn't played for as good of a team and he doesn't have those sort of signature moments, you know, where, you know, he puts the Vikings on his back. He's just a really good player, really solid guy. You know, and I think of Vikings history, you know, one of the best players in the league history, but also in Vikings history, somebody like Randall McDaniel. And he's somebody I think Smith sort of rivals him in both ways in that he was brilliant for a long time, but played sort of an under the radar position to the point where he might not ever get the due necessarily uh, that's afforded him. Although McDaniel got quite a bit of accolades. He just played guard. Yeah. So, Nick, when uh, you you talk about Eric Berry, Harrison Smith, uh, could you walk us through? Because one of the things I think people... When they're they're thinking about this, and you know, Eric talked about it a little bit. When I think most casual fans think of Eric Berry, um, they think, well, he's probably better in coverage, or he's better at this, or he's better at that. Harrison Smith is just a, a 
solid piece and a great defense. Mike Zimmer made Harrison Smith, that sort of thing. Um, but you really debunked a lot of that stuff with some of the stats you shared on the thread. I guess you walk through some of those. Yeah, I mean, Harrison Smith, I, I don't think safety is necessarily a position that translates into stats. However, I will say Smith has given up fewer touchdowns than pretty much every uh, other, you know, safety that you would, you would, you know, he has fewer touchdowns per coverage snap, fewer yards per coverage snap, um, fewer missed tackles per attempt uh, compared to Cam Chancellor, compared to Eric Berry, compared to Eric Weddle. Um, he's got better coverage grades. He's got better run defense grades. Um, he's uh, way more, I mean, he's able, He's because he's so versatile, Mike Zimmer uses him a lot in pass rush situations as like a, a wide nine almost. And he's got, as a result, he gets a lot of pressure. He gets home very fast. He has more sacks than most other safeties, um, more pressures. His pass rush win rate is really good. So he's just kind of, he does everything and he does it all really well. And he's not the elite athlete that Eric Berry is. Um, he's kind of never, I mean, he's not a bad athlete. He's an above average athlete, even for his position. And that's why he was a first rounder, but he, you know, he doesn't have the elite athleticism that made him a top 10 pick like Eric Perry. So there's, there's a little bit of difference there. And also he's not like the, um, he's not like Honey Badger or like um, Eric Berry as well, who could like line up in the, in the slot and man up against Rob Gronkowski or something. That's not Harrison Smith's game. I mean, granted Mike Zimmer does occasionally put him out as like an outside cornerback or as a slot cornerback, but really his game is more, um, you know, playing playing in zone coverage and reading the quarterback and making plays on the quarterback and wreaking havoc on what the quarterback's reads are because that's what Smith has always done so well. And I, I wouldn't say Zimmer has made Smith. I almost think it's the other way around where Smith is such a good chess piece that he's enabled Zimmer's schemes to really take the next level. So uh, I, I, I understand that, that it, you know, he doesn't have the story. It's kind of like Eli Manning's case for the Hall of Fame. Maybe he's not the best quarterback of the of the last couple of decades, but he just has those signature wins against the the juggernaut Patriots, uh, and we can all remember the the David Tyree catch. So people remember those things. And whereas with Harrison Smith, you know, he just kind of does solid plays. You know, I, I tweeted out that play of him tackling Danny Woodhead for like a four yard loss, where he beats two blocks and he, he tackles Danny Woodhead, who's one of the most elusive like scat backs um, of of the last maybe decade, and he t he takes him down with like one hand, his left hand, his off hand by like the fingertips, just drags him to the ground. That, that's the kind of play that Harrison Smith makes. It's like, it's not going to make, you know, the, the highlight reel, but it's just a very solid, spectacular play that very few other players could make. And that's kind of the story of his career. So I, it's, I just think it's sad that that kind of player is going to forever be underrated by people who aren't, uh, you know, watching the games to say nothing of watching the All-22 where you can actually see the safeties play. So it's a raw deal. And it, it, it also, I, I just have to say, it also doubly bothers me the way they set this up where it's like 20 different edge rushers. And they had a chance to fix this by putting Harrison Smith as one of the defensive backs. But no, Chris Harris and Tyron Matthew made that list instead of Smith. So, you know, it's like they could have they could have snuck in and Smith as, as like over Tyron Matthew, who I think is not nearly as good of a safety as even Eric Berry. But no, they they just had to. Had to put Honey Badger in See, over him as well. So I, insult I'll, to injury. I'll dispute the idea that the Honey Badger isn't as good. Um, I think it, I think Tyron Matthews probably. All you know, injury. You know, his comeback from injury and all that kind of stuff. Like I think I think Matthew probably deserves the All Decade Team every bit as much as Harrison Smith um, does, but. Uh, I do agree that they probably just should have included more defensive backs and fewer linebackers um, just because of the way that the NFL is constructed now. I mean, Honey Badger 
was basically the – I mean, Frank Clark too, but Honey Badger was basically the only addition to the Chiefs' back seven last year, and they went from 32nd in the league to 16th and won a Super Bowl, uh, you know. And to me, I think, like, as much – and I and I know, you know, we love Harrison Smith because, you know, you know what he does to the Vikings, and, you know, we focus quite a bit on them and stuff, and so he he gets a little bit of the spotlight effect for us. And we sort of know how valuable he is, but you know, Honey Badger to me, when you look at like the the impact that he's had on defenses, Arizona being a Super Bowl contender, uh, you know, Houston made the playoffs in 2018, and then the Kansas City Chiefs. He was the the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year, and he was voted their MVP. So, like, I don't know. I to me that 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 his inclusion is as offensive, but I just think they should have more defensive backs on the team because. That's, you know, it's such an important position and there's so, so many of them play so many different things that you're automatically going to leave a player uh, like Smith off uh, just by, you know, kind of silly omission. Yeah, Eric, when, because Nick, Nick said something like about safeties, the position itself doesn't really lend itself well to stats just based on the nature of what they're doing. Uh, when you look at something like war, like how does a player like Harrison Smith show up uh, in that metric? Yeah, well, he's like, you know, the second or third most valuable player on the Vikings. I mean, um, you know, Anthony Harris, actually, I think by virtue of some of the more splashier plays last year was the Vikings, uh, you know, most valuable player or most valuable non-Kirk player, I guess. You sort of throw quarterbacks out of that. But Smith sort of shows up. I mean, guys like Justin Simmons, you know, it's a position where you can generate a lot of value. Um, you know, and it's not necessarily a sustainable, what Smith brings to the fold, uh, is that he's been great and, you know, and, you know, season to season, he's able to sort of continue that brilliance, um, you know, uh, continuously, which is not something you get, uh, sort of from, you know, different safety. So last season, for example, Justin Simmons led, he almost was worth nine tenths of a win, which is quite a bit. Harris was second, Jamal Adams was third, Harrison Smith was fourth. And then you get some interesting names. Now, Matthew didn't come on late, but Matthew was 11th uh, in war by safeties uh, last season. If you go through, and I, I'm just going to, I'm coding in public here, so just please uh, bear with me. Um, so if we do, let's say, since 2010... Uh, at the safety position, who's generated the most value? I know it's unfair to Smith because he joined in twenty uh, in two thousand and uh, twelve, if if I if I remember correctly. But you know, that's what's also fundamentally unfair about this all-decade team, by the way. Um, uh, let's look here. So. Yeah, so you go Weddle, McCourty, Earl Thomas, Harrison Smith are the top four most valuable safeties since 2010. So he certainly has a case to be made to go in there. Uh, another safe, two safeties that I think kind of got screwed here are Malcolm Jenkins and Glover Quinn. Glover Quinn, do tell. Glover, Glover Quinn was sixth overall in war from the safety position, the former Houston Texan and then Detroit Lions. People forget that that Detroit Lions team was very in 2014 one of the best defenses in the entire league. Yeah, those are both good answers. Malcolm Jenkins too. That's you know similar. You you would think Malcolm Jenkins would get, would get more play because you know he won a ring with that Eagles defense and they were really good. And he's kind of uh, I think a lot of people acknowledge him at least in the back seven. He was kind of their 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 leader, their yeah, quarterback Cam Chance, defense. So 
Cam Chancellor yeah, seventh. And a couple interesting names after that is Reggie Nelson, the former Bengals safety, Jarius Bird, Antoine Bethay. I think the issue with Matthew is he's classified as a safety. Um or sorry, cornerback in some of these leagues because uh um because of you know playing in the slot a lot for Arizona um early on. If you include Yeah. He is he would be ninth if you put him in this list as well. So uh, you know, uh, he started his career in 2013, missed a couple years of injury. So that's also the f- fundamental unfairness of this is a guy like Thomas, who's drafted in 2010, gets the whole decade. Um, Weddle gets the whole decade. McCourty gets the whole decade. Harrison Smith loses two years. Um, you know, guy, you know, guys like, you know, Anthony Harris, for example, like they'll probably straddle two decades being pretty damn good, but will never get considered for an all decade team. All right. So the last thing on this topic, and it kind of takes us into the next one, is that, you know, this conversation around Harrison Smith kind of jokingly took us into a conversation about uh, like ranking the rankers and, and whose evaluations are the important ones, which is something that comes up every year. So it feels like something we might as well talk about now, which is it's draft season. And during draft season, oftentimes you get like film grinders versus analytics. PFF is kind of in both camps, even though for some reason people, really forget that you know much of what happens at pff is based on people watching the games and deciding uh what happened and forming opinions based on watching tape so nick this was you who kind of threw this out there to start but as we get are in draft season and you know we're really making opinions and, and thoughts around um you know which players are good and which ones they're not those of us with jobs that aren't in football don't have time to you know watch all the players and, and you know do all the things so whose opinions should we be looking to and for what as where we're thinking about things uh, as we move forward? Like, how should we rank the rankers when we're talking about, you know, player evaluation? Yeah, I think there was, there was a, I tweeted out like kind of jokingly that I would rank the rankers and then that number one was like the, the film grinders consensus. And number two was pro football focus grades. And then there's a drop off. And I, I jokingly said Madden ratings are better. Madden ratings would be better than using who has the most Pro Bowls because look, Xavier Rhodes made the Pro Bowl last year. So I, I think P, P, sometimes people um, don't give PFF grades enough credence. I think like yeah, there are there are times when I'll like I'll I'll quibble or I'll disagree. Like um, you know, I think I think uh, trying to think of an example of the Vikings last year. Like I think Daniel Hunter's maybe a good example where a lot of people thought Daniel Hunter was. Or like a really good player and it really wasn't until this year that he kind of like came into his own i think like 95 plus percent of the time especially when you're talking about the sample size of an entire season you know i will agree with pro football focus grades for every player and there's there's a couple times where i might quibble a little bit but it's very rare that like they're not even in the ballpark of where i would i would have them maybe on a game because games can kind of once if you're looking at a pff grade for one specific game you can quibble with like maybe there's one game changing thing and you, you say, well, maybe that wasn't on the quarterback. So maybe they shouldn't have had like a minus one on that play or something. And that really affects their grade or something like um, an example I might point to is um, Anthony Barr's week four performance against the Rams, where he was charged with like giving up two or three touchdowns. And really only one of them was kind of partially his fault, but it was mostly just McVay being really smart with some schematic stuff. And I like I, I doubt Mike Zimmer was thinking Anthony Barr had a bad game so much as he just um mcveigh was was toying with zimmer's coverage matching rules so that might be an example but like the vast majority of the cases you look at shamar stefan probably not a great player 
Um, you know, Everson Griffin had a re you know, really good season. Daniil Hunter, really good. Adam Thielen, really good. So I, I think, broadly speaking, the grades are really well, well done. Maybe sometimes it'll miss out on some context, I feel like, and that's where I feel like, you know, like Ted Wynn at The Athletic or Brandon Thorne also at The Athletic or, um, you know, Derek Lawson for, for QBs. A lot of those, like, like people who just kind of, like, watch the film and, like, are, 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 you know, maybe they coach on the side or something. They can give you some insight as well that maybe you wouldn't pick up if you're just um, sort of trying to get through every single play and and not necessarily picking up on the nuance of if you study a play for like two hours at a time. So um, and then I think at the other end of the spectrum, you just have people who don't even watch the games, but are still entrusted with telling us who's playing well. So and I, that's where that's where my quibbling comes with Pro Bowl voters who, you know, in the case of fans or even in the case of players, they're not watching these other players play. So they're just kind of going off reputation. Um, and and all pro voters, you know, maybe some of them are watching the all 22, but most of them are not watching every player for every snap the way pro football focus does. So that's, that's, that's why I really think BFF is kind of a tier above everyone else because they're actually watching every player, every snap. Yeah. So just one follow up for you before I obviously get Eric in here, since we're, we're talking about him, like he's not even in the room, but, um, <laughs> um, so when, when you're, you're looking at something like you, you're going to maybe a specific person who's made their specialty, you know, quarterbacks or offensive line or, or whatever it might be. Um, like, what are you generally looking for there? And I guess, how are you using that information? Like, would you be looking to to learn something specific from a technical perspective or maybe like, you know, what someone might be looking at from from coverage? Or are you looking at that information to like predict future performance? I guess, help me understand, um, you know, how you do that. And then, you know, I guess even from a ranking perspective, uh, do you feel that like those people are able to to watch like enough of everyone uh, for it to be kind of a fair unbiased sort of ranking thing oh that's kind of where i where i would lean on the consensus like you know one person's always going to have some weird opinions and hot takes and i certainly have a lot of bad opinions and i don't even usually know what i'm talking about so anytime you're looking at like a, a one person specific specific takes um there might be some things that you know you know you take with a grain of salt but i think that's where um if you make a correlation to the the draft classes right now you know, I think like Dane Brugler is one of the best draft scouts out there. And his his guide that you get at The Athletic is one of the most um, comprehensive ones. And, you know, you can compare to like Matt Waldman's uh, rookie scouting portfolio and some of the other ones out there. Mike Renner obviously does a really great one, too. And you kind of some of them have are pretty high on certain players and some of them are pretty low on certain players. But you can kind of read the scouting profile and say, OK, here's what they do well. Here's what they don't do well. Here's where they might be a good fit. And you can kind of glean from that. Um, you know, would they be a good fit if, you know, Mike Zimmer asked them to, instead of playing five technique, to play three technique defensive tackle? You know, how would they, how would they, if they were to shift over from two gapping to one gapping, how good would they fit in, you know, our scheme? So I, I think you can predict performance, um, but it just takes a lot more time and it's a lot more labor intensive on your end as well. So, um, but I think if you want to further your own football knowledge the most and also like, be able to analyze stuff on your on your own. That's the best resource because those are the people who do it at a professional level. Awesome. So. And, and Eric, uh, obviously, you know, you you work in, in, in football day in and day out. Uh, how do you uh, and, and your, your colleagues at Pro Football Focus marry the, you know, the film, which is kind of the baseline of a lot of what you guys do with the the, the math and, and put all that together for something, let's say, like, uh, you know, the all decades team that you put together or the draft guide that, you know, a lot of us are looking at uh, as we head into the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, my thing is just, you know, don't change the, you know, your approach. I mean, the 
like I think that there's a ton of value in what you know Duke Manaweather does, and you know Brandon Thorne does, and Derek Kloss. All those, you know, the issue is just to me is just scale, right? I mean, the fact you know we we uh, incorporate yeah. a lot of the ideas that you know scouts and people within teams and coaches and all that kind of stuff will give us. We just scale it up to a point where you know you allow the law of large numbers to happen. And that's kind of what where, you know, we can be wrong on a player here or a player there, but there but the the areas where there are systematic issues are pretty few and far between. Um and that, you know, so when it comes to, you know, taking some of the you know, so for example, you know, when we t- cre- create like our big board for some of our like mock draft stuff, it's like, well, I'll take Mike's rankings and I'll weigh them with the statistical stuff that I build and the statistical stuff that I build will, you know, lean on a decent amount of like, you know, what people tell me. So like true pass block sets. So it's not as, it's not as simple as that, but essentially, you know, when I try to evaluate an offensive lineman for the draft, like I do a regression that significantly downweighs how well he does on bootlegs and screens and stuff like that. And significantly upweights, you know, if he's consistently having to block for three seconds against power five teams and, and all that kind of stuff. So to me, like there is an, it's not an issue. Like these people have, you know, I think decent processes, you know, there's, there's some issue and I, you know, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. I mean, there's some issue with, you know, if you're consulting with players and they pay you and then you're, you stand up for them continuously against PFF and stuff like that. There might be a little bit of, uh, you know, you you just have to take that kind of criticism with a grain of salt. Um, but uh, but for the most part, these folks do a good job. It's just the issue, the the thing that PFF can really help with is scale. Uh, we do every single player, you know, in every single play of every game in you know college and NFL. Awesome, awesome. Well, let's take uh, all of that knowledge and all those things that you do, and let's uh, take it forward and talk about our team, the Vikings. We've talked a bit earlier this offseason about the needs, the holes, and I think since, even since we, we spoke last, there there are more of them than, uh, than the last time. So, Eric, as things currently stand, uh, what would you say are the biggest needs uh, for the Vikings? You can't say direction. Uh, we're talking players. <laughs> what that, that the, triggered a bunch of people. <laughs> what are the biggest needs you see uh, for the Vikings? And if it was you and you had – you know, absolute power to kind of make the draft go as you wanted it for the Vikings to, you know, kind of come out. It has to be somewhat realistic. Like we just can't have Joe Burrow fall to us. But like if you had the the power to go forward and kind of have the perfect players fall to where the Vikings could draft them, let me know what that might look like for you in like the first couple rounds of the draft. Yeah, great question. I mean, so for me, I think the Vikings have needs at wide receiver and cornerback, and those needs are substantial. And and not only do they need good, they need greatness there. They need, in the case of defensive back, they need depth. And at wide receiver, uh, you know, they need they need both greatness and depth as well. So if if I'm looking at the way that this draft is playing out. Um, you know, you have the pick that you got from Stefan Diggs. I would not have traded him in the first place, but since you have it, I mean, I'm going to, 
I'm going to entice a team to trade up with you. Uh, and, and I'm going to move back into the thirties, uh, and, and try to accumulate picks because I'm going to take, you know, and I, I'm, I'm trying, you know, thinking of names now, um, you know, when I, when I look at, um, you know, when I look at some of these names, I mean, it, it it's so, it, it's such a, it, it's after the first three wide receivers, it's flat enough where it doesn't bother me. You know, if you get a, a T Higgins, who I'm a little lower on maybe, but he's Jalen Rager is a guy. Again, he has the highest athleticism score we've given to, you know, sort of any player in the PFF era. Um, you know, Mims is a guy who had a great, you know, uh, senior bowl and, you know, relatively mixed uh, outputs at Baylor. Ayuk's good. Pittman's good. Jeffrey. I mean, I think you got to come out of the first round or two with at least one of those guys. Uh, if you could get two by trading back, all the better. But, you know, the other issue is that right now, if you roll the ball out, you're talking about Chris Boyd, uh, um, Holton Hill, and uh, Mike Hughes at corner. So, you know, if you if you look at that, then, you know, you probably – and cornerback, I think, drops off a little bit as well. So, you know, I know they probably won't get digs, but you think about Jalen Johnson from Utah, A.J. Terrell – uh, of Clemson, Jeff Gladney of TCU, even somebody like I think he's falling right now because his speed wasn't particularly good at the combine, but Cameron Dantzler of Mississippi State, like you, I think it, you have to come out of the first two rounds with at least two of those types of players. Um, everything else is window dressing at this point. If they get a left guard and it's at the expense of one of these positions on the outside, I, th- I think that they're going to regret it greatly. All right. And Nick? I heard Eric say some of the names that I know that you love, but if you're thinking about things here, I guess first, remind us from your perspective, biggest needs for the Vikings. I feel like you maybe have done a, a, a poll that, uh, that you know, we probably got wrong as a fan base, but uh, what are your thoughts on the biggest needs for the Vikings? And if it's you going after it, what are you doing to fill those needs? Yeah, it's an interesting question because you can think of needs in two different ways, like where do we have like the worst starter in the NFL? Where would like a good rookie make the biggest difference between what we currently have and and what we have right now? And, and then you also have to think about who would have the biggest impact because they're two different things. Like if the Vikings were able to upgrade for at quarterback, um, you know that would be a, that would make a bigger difference in terms of wins and losses than upgrading at left guard. Even though Kirk Cousins is an above average starting quarterback and Pat Elfline is a the below average to say it nicely starting left guard. So I, I think you you, you, ha- you kind of have to take into account positional value because nobody's going to say punter is your biggest need or whatever. But um, I, I think Shamar Stefan, I think is maybe the worst starting three technique in the NFL. He had the fewest pressures and the fewest run stops for starting defensive tackles. Side, side note, so Nick, that's uh, obviously Shamar really Stefan at the same time. might become, might, might be your other brand. Just based on how the podcast has gone this off season, if you're if you're wondering <laughs> if you're looking for for other brands, I think Shamar he might be making that, his way in there to that's become common ground as well. Have, yeah. uh, because I, I the, <laughs> something that tilts me so much on Twitter are people like, oh, Shamar Stefan's way better. I mean, like they got rid of Richardson. That was uh, you know he only had one sack. It's like if uh, it, it, Zimmer knows what he's doing. It's like. Zimmer can both be very, very good and also not know what he's doing in certain circumstances. Yes. I mean, like these things aren't incompatible. Yeah. 
Yeah, Shamar Stout, he wasn't good in Seattle the one year he went over there. And he's not he's not good here again now that he's back. So yeah, it would be nice if like Javon Kinlaw fell to 22 or whatever. At the same time, I think wide receiver is a bigger need, and so is cornerback, just because those positions win and lose you games. Um, so I, you know, in dream scenario, uh, so long as it's semi-realistic. I mean, you could probably see a scenario where like um is it CJ Anderson who's the number two cornerback in this draft you could see you can envision an exam scenario where he falls or um you know there's been talks about maybe somebody might um have denzel mims ranked really highly just based on his athletic testing or something in which case maybe henry ruggs falls to 22 or something or um the one the one i actually see a lot now is that like offensive tackle rankings are kind of all over the place and andrew thomas of all people could be falling and that seems crazy to me because he's such a technically sound player and he's like you know very very high upside and you know you get him and you kind of fix two positions at the offensive line since you can probably kick reef over to guard and i there's some projection there because he's never really played guard but i think he'd be a fine guard he's you know a really good um, he would, uh, I think he'd do just fine there. And then obviously you're, you're getting a, hopefully a franchise left tackle. So that would be kind of a dream scenario, but more realistic. I think somebody like, um, Gladney or Christian Fulton and, um, you know, I'm really high on Denzel Mims personally. Uh, so that would be an awesome first round. And obviously I also think Spielman's one of the best in the NFL at, at maneuvering the draft and kind of finding those clips of talent. So he's snagging the last guy before there's a big drop off in talent. So you can see him sort of maybe trading up for one of those top three wide receivers or trading down. I would, I personally, I'm against trading up for anybody who's not a quarterback, just based on how the NFL tends to overvalue early round draft picks as, um, you know, the old Richard Thaler article goes into. But um, I, I think, so maybe like the best case realistic scenario is they, they get like a cornerback in round one and then they trade back and they pick up like um, Brandon Ayuk and, uh, he, you know, Jalen Rager or someone in the, in the second or something like that. So that they're, they're getting multiple potential impact contributors at the positions where you win and lose games. I also think it'd be nice to pick up a developmental left tackle. I think this draft is really good there. So maybe in like the third round uh, or even the second round, there's a lot of guys who are like zone fits. Um, so that that could be intriguing. And then I think there are also a couple guys at defensive tackle who could be, um, you know, maybe start in and contribute, especially on like pass rushing downs, because that's not Shamar Stefan's game. And it didn't really seem like the other young guys stepped up this past year. So that would be great to get somebody else there, too. So that's what I would like to see. And I'm sure on, on draft day, it's going to go not how I expected it. All right. So with that in mind, what would be the thing that would make you log out of the Zoom meeting on draft night uh, if the Vikings <laughs> did that thing? Uh, drafting like a, a guard, probably, or drafting a trading up to like draft an offensive tackle, like trading both, both, you know, the both first round picks to trade up to get like, um, Mackie Becton or something that would be like, Oh man, that is, that is not a, that is not a good move for the Vikings unless they're trying to tank for Trevor. So. <laughs> and Eric, same question to you. What would be the move that the Vikings could make that would just, uh, make you feel like, like Nick said, maybe they are actually uh, in fact trying to tank the 2020 season. You know, this sounds really bad because I'm I'm all I'm pro quarterback in every way. Um, but if they drafted Jordan Love, uh I I I kind of be like, hey, 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 <laughs> hold on, hold on. That's not what I meant, you know. Um it's just because I think he's probably the most <laughs> overhyped person in the entire draft. And I I I uh, and I think, and it, and it's close because wow. I think Justin Herbert is also extremely overrated. Um, 
but I I just I don't think I don't think that if you're gonna like I I'm with Nick I think Kirk is a lot better than than you know some people give him credit for and like I and I and I see him as more of a Kirk like at best right and so then you're gonna be uh, I think a little bit underwhelmed um, if you're you know if you're going you know in with that developmental type quarterback and he ends up being you know the quarterback that you wanted to replace at best. Oh, okay. All right. No, no love for Justin, uh, for Jordan Love. And uh, that'll be it. That's it, gentlemen. As always, uh, you know, thank you for all the great analysis. And before we get out of here, Eric, uh, what have you been up to? What are you working on? Do you have any other mock drafts that have recently come out or will be coming out to make out the people angry? No, I don't know, actually. I mean, I think, and I'm not exactly <laughs> sure when this is going to come out, but we're going to be debuting a mock draft tool uh, that uh, my my pal Timo, myself, and George built um, where, you know, basically we can grade your mock draft. Um, I'm not sure when that's going to come out, so uh, it might be by the time this comes out, but uh, that'll be hopefully some fun. But, yeah, we're going to do the forecast still twice a week. We had uh, Evan Silva on last Thursday. We had the producer of Sunday Night Football on this past Monday. Uh, so yeah, just kind of trying to keep everybody entertained cause it's a, it's a tough time. <laughs> it is a tough time. And, uh, Nick, my man, other than lashing out at NFL.com, what else, uh, what else are you working on these days? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gradually turning from like somebody who's trying to be a serious analyst into like a meme account. So <laughs> I actually am going to be, uh, doing an article. Uh, I'm, it's just going to be kind of like a, a draft, not not a mock draft, but kind of like a here's how we could navigate it. And here's where I think there are certain clips of value. And, you know, the draft is very deep at wide receiver. Does it make sense to try and get one of the blue chip guys in the first round? Does it make sense to try and get like a Van Jefferson in the third round? And, uh, you know, where, where who are some good targets and how are things how could things shake out? So less than a deep dive on these specific players, but more like here's a constellation of players they could get at each round. And here I think. Or some realistic best case scenarios here, I think, are some realistic scenarios where maybe it would be kind of disappointing. So um, I'll try and get that out this week. That's awesome. And 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 for the next show, that's one of the things that I'm I'm interested to pick your brains on uh, the next time we get together. So just be thinking about it now is based on the positions that we need, what do the learning curves typically look like at those positions? And so what's the likelihood that we are actually going to get a you know, year one contributor at our, our biggest positions of need as we go into the draft? So That'll be something for us to, to take a look at. But uh, that is it for this show. It was a, a good time for me. Good time for the listeners, I hope. And so with that, listeners, as always, thanks for sticking to us. Thanks for sticking with us. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on. And yeah, we'll be back soon. Have a good one.